0: What an amazing uh, commission that song is for us at the beginning of a year. So let's speak to the one who's worthy. Let's, let's talk with him, which is an amazing privilege in and of itself. Let's pray. So Jesus, here we all are in this auditorium online. but We're not just s- s- standing here at the beginning of a, a week, but we're standing here at the beginning of a, a year, the beginning of the rest of our lives. We're not just standing here as individuals, we're part of this community called Northland that you're weaving something pretty powerful in. We're all threads in that tapestry. Some of us are willing, some of us are unknowing, but we're all threads. And you've assembled us together for such a time as this to speak. I have nothing to say that would be of any value unless what I say is rooted in who you are, in your Word, your truth, enabled by your Spirit. And so, with that song on, still reverberating on our lips and our throats and our ears, ten thousand reasons. It's such an inadequate statement because it's infinite. 10,000 years, 10,000 reasons why it's not enough to talk about your worth of who you are, what you do. But we thank you that you've given us breath to breathe such a song. Some of us are singing from the mire, from the rubble. Some of us are singing from the mountaintop. Some of us are not singing, but listening. We're maybe just investigating a relationship with you. Others of us have grown stale. There is no way that human words and wisdom can address what needs to happen this morning, but you can, so we're going to listen together because we're asking in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, good morning. Happy New, year. Happy, New year. Happy, New year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Okay, that was, that was better. That was better. It, I am so excited I get to get wear a sweater in Florida. I, this is the, I know you guys don't like that, but I'm digging it. So um, beginning of a year, just to kind of start out with sweaters and nice jackets on, nice form, uh, it's a good opportunity for us to, Not just as individuals, but as part of this community called Northland. If you're one of those new folks here, what a time to pick to come on board and to at least investigate kind of who we are. So we're going to pick up our series in Philippians next week, that giant secret of joy. But today we're going to take some time and just reflect a little bit on the beginning of a year, but not just the beginning of a year, the beginning of a new season in your life and in my life and in our lives together as a church. You know, you go through enough of these new years, you, you start, they start flying by. Does anybody here think it was just last year, maybe a few weeks ago? I mean, here, I'm 35 years old, and I I feel like uh, they just are flying by. <laughs> Moses, a lot of people don't know Moses wrote a psalm, but in latter part of his life, he wrote this psalm, and he's reflecting about how quickly the years go by. He says in Psalm 90 verse 9, for all our days have declined in your fury. We finished our years like a sigh, as for the days of our life they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. Notice what he's saying. He's saying, what's a lifeline? Okay, 70 years maybe, or if due to health club membership, good diet. Great insurance plan, whatever, 80 years. But he says, still, there we go. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow. For it is soon gone and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? So So, grapple with what he's grappling with. Life goes by. Is there anything that can stop this free fall? Anything that can stop this this day after day cascading away from me and becoming history. Yeah. He says, is there a handhold somewhere? Yeah. Here it is, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Is there any way to extract some semblance of cadence, rhythm, and meaning? Is there any way to, to establish some type of a, a cadence, a fulfillment in the midst of this free fall? Yeah. Teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. It's a powerful truth. That's what we're going to be talking about the, the rest of our time. You guys know one of my spiritual gifts is clarifying the obvious, so here you go. Here's the, here's the obvious statement. Life is daily. Ooh, come on. So there you got it. If you're going to daydream the rest of the time you can, you've got it. Life is daily. That's what this verse is talking about. We're going to unpack it. All my life is is the accumulation of a bunch of individual days. And so often we think we'd like some, our life to turn out in a particular way, but our days don't bear any resemblance to that overall desire. It's not going to happen. You can't add up a bunch of apples and get an orange. Life is daily. That's what Moses is talking about here. That's what this verse is about. Teach us, Lord, in this free fall, to to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. But it's not just about numbering our days. That verse, to me, is exegetical evidence. I'm pretty confident in this that Moses was a golfer. Just so happened to have some golf clubs with me. I used to play a lot of golf, and I could go to the range and spot — I spent a lot of time at practice range — I could spot novice golfers and beginner golfers fairly quickly. And not just by the mechanics of their swing, by how they would approach their practice session — so beginner golfer. Comes out, golf clubs, got the bag, puts the bag down, has the bucket of balls, gets all excited, you know, dumps them out, and is just kind of freaking out, thinking, I can't believe I've got this many golf balls, and I don't have to find a single one. Somebody else is going to find my golf balls for me. And so, but they get there, and then they uh, can hardly wait to get started, and they grab a club in their bag. What club? driver. The most difficult club in the bag to hit, the big kahuna, why they've brought any other clubs with them, I have no idea because they never use them. The entire session, I've watched people, they bring their entire bag out and they just use driver. Well, they don't stretch, they don't uh, do a whole lot of anything, they just tee it up, grip it, and then they, how you doing? (laughs) <laughs> they just let it rip and the ball takes off it does not take up it just takes off it's beheading worms along the way never really rises very high they don't stop long enough to evaluate that before that ball has stopped rolling they've teed up another one and done the same thing and actually, there is a fury, a frenzy to what they're doing. You look from a distance, it almost looks like a windmill because it's <laughs> constant motion. They don't stop for the entire bucket of golf balls until, and when I would see this happening, sometimes I would just stop my, my session to, to, to watch, see what was going to happen. I, with about two or three balls left, they slow down because something occurs to them that they hadn't thought about before. And again, they didn't, have to, they didn't have to chase any of these balls. They could do experiments behind their back. It doesn't matter. But when you have two or three, they realize something. Oh my goodness, I only have two or three balls left. So they take good care with the next one. And they try to remember all the golf articles they read in the dentist office the previous year and they try to figure out the grip, and by the time they get to one left, they freeze. Because this is the shot that's going to determine whether they join the PGA Tour or not. (laughs) And invariably, it's a disaster. Now an advanced golfer will approach the session very differently, they'll get to the range, There's a smoothness about the way that they're moving. They're not coming in a rush. They're not all frenzied. And they don't grab the driver, the longest club, most difficult in the bag. They grab something else like maybe a pitching wedge. And then they stretch, maybe talk with the people around them. They have that bucket of range balls that they've just basically tipped over. They're, They're not spread out everywhere. After they've stretched a bit, Get a couple of practice swings in. Then they've got a target in the back. That's a nice sweater uh, that you got for Christmas. <laughs> you you knew I was talking to you. You're feeling pretty good about that sweater. Uh, thousands of people in here. This guy had a good image of himself in the sweater. That was awesome. So catch this, okay? Um, they hit the ball. Watch the flight of the ball. Pay attention, is it low, high, left, right? Wait till it's totally done, and then take that next swing. Same little rhythm And looking, yeah, yelling forward to the guy in the Christmas sweater, uh, gift sweater. It's actually a good-looking sweater. So, um, they watch that. Do another one. Then they move up maybe to a, a seven-iron. Factor that in, watch it, and it's just smooth the whole way through. They get to where there are only two or three golf balls left, and their rhythm doesn't change. By that time, they're up to the driver, and they've worked through the bag. They've, it's been cumulative. There have been no wasted shots. They're paying attention to what happens to the flight of the ball each time. What's the difference between the novice and the beginner golfer? Fundamentally, it's not their skill level, it's how they approach the session, fundamentally The novice golfer assumed that he had an infinite number of golf balls, limitless. So it doesn't matter if I try it behind my back. The realization that it was a limited number of golf balls did not hit the novice golfer until there were two or three left. The advanced golfer knows from the get-go, I've got a limited number of golf balls in my bucket here, and I want to make every one of them count to benefit from this practice session. They don't wait until the end of the bucket to start getting serious. I've met with people in hospital rooms at the sunset of their life who had been assuming their whole lives that they had an infinite number of days, and now all of a sudden they're realizing, I don't have an infinite number. It's a great time to talk about the gospel, by the way. Moses says, Lord, teach us to number our golf balls at the beginning. Teach us to number our days. When I was in college, I assumed I had had an infinite number of days. It didn't matter if you wasted a day. The older we get, the more it matters. And Moses said, the sooner we learn this, the better. What will it look like to add day upon day upon day, let them accumulate into a lifetime, and for that lifetime to be significant and fulfilling and God glorifying? How does that happen? What does it look like practically to number my days? Some of you started a Bible reading uh, plan this year, reading through the Bible, and do it. We love that. We've got counseling set up for Leviticus in February. A lot of people come in February because they're in... There are creative plans all out there. Do it. Devour the word. But one of the things that you need to understand when you're going through Scripture and you come across a passage that's not that clear, the first place you go to understand that passage better is not some outside commentary but other passages of Scripture. Scripture is the best commentary on Scripture. So here we have this principle that Moses is talking about. teaches, O Lord, to number our days right from the get-go. Okay, if we haven't, we're middle-aged, whatever. Wherever we are right now, on this day, start numbering them. All right, I get that, but this is poetry. Is there something somewhere else in Scripture that's more didactic, more instructional? Yes, Ephesians chapter 5, there's a passage that connects this whole notion of time and wisdom. That's what Moses is saying. He says, Lord, we want to present you a heart of wisdom, so may we approach time correctly. Let's see what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5 about the same subject, and we're going to stay in this passage the rest of the time. Ephesians chapter 5, starting with verse 14, for this reason, it says, awake, sleeper, and rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Now this, if you're, especially if you're new to the gospel of Christianity or whatever, this is a great principle that uh, you see in Scripture, just a great way that the gospel is described. It's described as people coming out of death into life. We're dead in our transgressions and sins. We're made alive. It doesn't mean that we're not, our hearts aren't beating and our lungs aren't breathing. What it means is that we have not yet embraced the restoration of our humanity to what it was intended for. This is a wake sleeper. Start living differently. Christ will shine in you. Therefore, verse 15, uh, Ephesians 5, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that's dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. What Paul does here is he lays out some priorities that enable us to number our days, priorities that enable us to come awake and to actually not just exist, but live. Let's look at five of them, one at a time, and they're cumulative. They build on each other. When my alarm rings, actually I would like a six iron, it just feels better for this distance. For the length of sermon we have left, it's a six iron. When my alarm rings on a daily basis, how do I number my day? How do I number this day? Five priorities. Number one, be careful. Live with wisdom. I need to approach the day with care, living with wisdom. Go back to verse uh, verse 15. We're going to look at one verse at a time for each of these five priorities. Ephesians 5.15, therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Be careful. Billy Graham one time, the great evangelist, was asked at a Q&A at Harvard University, what's the greatest surprise you've ever had in your life, Reverend Graham? He didn't hesitate. He said, my greatest surprise has been the brevity of life. How quick it is. Leslie Weatherhead is a gentleman that has a math Uh, leaning about him, compared as a lifespan of 70 years to a waking day from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m., and what's the equivalent? So in other words, if you're 20 years old in a lifespan of 0 to 70, what time is it if you equate that with the day from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m.? If you're 20, it's 11.34 a.m. Some of you are freaking out because you're thinking, 20-year-old, it's almost lunchtime? Oh, it gets better. If you're 25 years old, it's the equivalent of being 1242 p.m. If you're 30 years old, it's 151 p.m. If you're 35, it's 3 p.m. 45, it's 516 p.m. 50, it's 625 p.m. Some of you are saying, we get the point, we understand, you don't need to go any further. Somebody came up to me between the services and said... Uh, I figured it out for me, I, it's 11.34, or 10.34. He said, but I'm planning on staying up late. <laughs> I love that. But just because you want to stay up late doesn't necessarily mean you will. Now when you hear that, what happens? Here is the power of the gospel. Christ comes to awaken us to a life of realized significance. We don't have to panic I have a very specific number on me in terms of the number of days I've got left. So do you. So do you. So do you. Every one of us. There is a distinct number in the mind of God regarding the number of days that you're going to be on this planet. That's not a cause for panic. It's simply a cause for being careful. I want to be careful with every one of these. I am convinced, I mean I could keel over tomorrow, but I have the, the exact number of days, golf balls so to speak, in my life, God's determined that. So I don't need to panic. What the gospel does is it restores me to a relationship with my Creator in the way that I can submit to Him on a daily basis, but i got to be careful. I don't want to be foolish. I want to live with wisdom. Which leads to the second priority. If I'm going to number my days, it will involve not only just being careful, but it will also involve being deliberate. To be careful, I've got to be deliberate. Remember, these are cumulative, they build on each other. And being deliberate involves living with purpose. Go back to the text. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Hmm. Seneca was a Roman philosopher. One time he said, we're always complaining that our days are so few, but we live as if there will be no end to them. We're not being deliberate. We're not being careful. We're just flailing away, assuming there's going to be no end to the golf balls in my bucket. And Paul says, making the most of your time for the days are evil. Now, the days are not evil inherently. We live in a fallen world. And what he's saying is, without the gospel, without Christ, the accumulation of days in my life, there will be even an evil aspect to it in the sense of being separated from the purposes and glory of God. The way to avert that is to make the most of your time. Be deliberate. Seize it. I love the story of the medieval, uh, gen- medieval village in England. A gentleman was riding into town on horseback. He goes by this fence. It has an archery target on it, and there's an arrow piercing the bullseye. I mean, dead center. He thought, boy, that's a good shot. He rounds the bend. There's a tree. Another tree. There, there's a target painted on it. Bullseye. He comes into town, sees a barn target, bullseye. It's all the same arrow, the same feathers on each of the arrows from the same quiver. Four or five times he sees that. and Then he sees finally another one in the town square. He goes up to somebody and says, tell me who your archer is. This guy, the king needs to know about this marksmanship. That's very rare for somebody to be that consistent and that good. The guy says, that's just a town fool. He goes around shooting arrows in the sides of barns and buildings, and then he draws targets around them. (laughs) Have you ever done a to-do list at the end of your day? And a lot of people do that at the end of their lives. That's not being deliberate. It's trying to justify everything that happened instead of saying, who am I before God? How has He wired me and gifted me and placed me and who are the people that he's, He's put in my life? I want to be intentional. I want to be deliberate. Paul says, making the most of your time Now, the Greek word uh, that is translated time is a very powerful word. In English, we have the word time, but there are two Greek words, both of which in Scripture are translated time. One is chronos, and the other is kairos. Chronos, what's the English word we get from that? Chronology. Chronos time is the mere passing of moments. Your life inevitably is going to be characterized by chronos. So is yours. So is yours. What's not guaranteed is that our lives will be characterized by chronos. Making the most of your time because the days are evil is what Paul says. The Greek word that is translated time there is kairos, not chronos. Kairos is time charged with potential. Um, It's it's moments, it's not the mere passing of time, it's the engaging with moments. The Greek god Kairos had wings on his feet and long hair in, in the front. Why? Wings on his feet? Because he would fly. He could move so fast. Why the long hair in the front, short in the back is because when he was coming, when Kairos was coming, you you could grab the hair. But after he was gone, he's done. Approaching, seizable. He's passed, you've missed it. Today, you're going to have some Kairos moments. The question is will you engage with him? Will I? They can be very, they can be highs, they can be lows. They can be deep grief uh, or, or great insight. They can be very quick. They can last for several hours. Saw an epitaph or a tombstone in New England back from the 19th century. There's was a gentleman's name and underneath it said, died at age 45, buried at age 70. What happened when that man was 45 years old? He didn't die literally, the heart was still beating, the lungs were still breathing. But the Kairos stopped, the music stopped. It's not just for you as an individual, it's for us as a church. Northland this year will be filled with Kairos moments. Will we seize those moments? Or will we let them pass? Opportunities for deepening our stewardship of our calling, of changing trajectory, of paying attention to this nuance that God is giving us, of us coming together and not just staring at the back of someone's head for 30 minutes, hour and a half when it's convenient on a Sunday, but beginning to journey as a community of men and women fully alive to the glory of God. That's Kairos. That's the opportunity that God gives us to walk in the context of deep purpose, where all of a sudden this is not just flailing away. I happen to be in my life and I'm just going to hit and hit and hit and hit. I instead, I'm going to take my time each day and I'm going, to, I'm going to live being careful, living with wisdom, being deliberate, living with purpose. Third priority, being discerning, where I live with God's perspective. What will involve for me to number my days when the alarm rings? Careful, yes. But in order to be careful, I'm going to have to be deliberate, yes. But to be deliberate, I've got to be discerning. I need to be discerning about what to be deliberate about. I need to have God's perspective. Go back to the text. Verse 17, so then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. In Greek, it's get a clue. I'm Just kidding, it's not. Understand God's agenda here, His perspective, His will. I have a pretty astute ability to miss the things that are valuable and pay attention to things that are invaluable. So do you. But under the light of God's Word, this whole notion of Scripture reading that I mentioned earlier, it's not just so you can have a religious habit. This is illumination for my path. This gives me discernment, gives me something to arbitrate decisions by. You know, the poet Walt Whitman, back in the 19th century, one of the great poets of of America, He wrote a number, one's called Leaves of Grass. I've mentioned part of it to you before, I think, but he talks about this. It's been popularized in Dead Poets Society, the movie with Robin Williams, an Apple commercial at the Super Bowl a couple years ago. This is how the poem goes O oh me o oh life of the questions of these recurring of the endless trains of the faithless of cities filled with the foolish and he goes on he's he's reflecting about uh, the different things that happen in life and he comes down to the end he says the question o oh me so sad recurring what good amid these o oh me o oh life he says what good am i what, what what's the purpose do i matter answer he says still in the poem that you are here. So, you wondered the beginning of this year, what your purpose is, why are you here? Answer. Here's, here's what's significant about the beginning of this year that you are here, that life exists, and identity. And then here's the line that you hear in the Apple commercial and with Robin Williams in the movie that the powerful play goes on, and you may contribute a verse. The powerful play of this planet's turning goes on, and you can contribute a verse. Then the question is, as the apple people say, what will your verse be? What will your verse be? What's your verse? It's a great question, but it is not the question. The question is what is the play? Figure out what the play is before you determine what your verse is. What is the overall purpose of this cosmos? And when I begin to track with there is a deliberate intentionality of redemption inaugurated in the first advent of Christ, going to be culminated in the second advent of Christ in which one day what once was will once again be when the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And I wake up every morning with the perspective of the will of God where his glory, his worth, his sufficiency is is enough for me and and my will work and my relationships and my grieving, then all of a sudden I realize what the play is. Now let's come back with what's your verse. And he's wired you and equipped you and gifted you and called you and educated you and put you in a particular home and family and situation with the shrapnel and toe and the broken experiences there, and they help to come in and make me see, all right, I've got to steward this for the glory of God. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Where does that happen? Scripture, letting me know what the priorities are. Then you'll be able to test and approve what the story is all about, what God's will is. Please hear it in that way. Don't just hear God's will meaning, okay, do I get this parking space or that parking space? God's will is cosmic. And yes, it incorporates incredibly me and you, but it's understanding the story. We spent a whole weekend on that a while back. Individual puzzle pieces, remember that? God gives us the box top in Scripture. Without the box top, the puzzle pieces don't mean anything. Paul says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. Fourth priority. For that alarm to ring and for me to number my day will mean I'm going to be careful today and live with wisdom. I'm going to be deliberate today and live with purpose. I'm going to be discerning today and live with God's perspective. Fourthly, I'm going to be alive. I'm going to live by Christ's agenda. Go back to the text. He says, understand this. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 14, for this reason it says awake sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you, verse 18. So we're talking about coming alive and in verse 18 he says, and do not get drunk with wine for that's dissipation but be filled with the spirit, to be filled with the spirit is to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Who's the Holy Spirit? He's this, the, the, the third person of the Trinity. He's the Spirit of Christ, not an it, but a he. He's the, it, he comes in and takes residence in my life. The moment that I come to Christ, I was dead in my transgressions and sins. I could, I could create, I could do art, I could do accounting, I could do architecture, I could do sports, but it's muted, it's cloaked because I'm dead. My heart's beating, lung's breathing, but I'm dead towards God. I'm dead towards the ultimate triumph of who I'm supposed to be as a human being. And along comes the gospel and the agenda of Jesus. And what does he say his agenda is? John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come, not that you may be impressively religious. I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. You say, okay, that's a powerful agenda, but what's that got to do with this verse in Ephesians 5? Being filled with the Spirit. John 6, Jesus is teaching about the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm going to leave and I'm going to send my Spirit. And this is what he says in John 6, verse 63. The Spirit gives life. So when Jesus says, my ultimate agenda is to bring you back from the dead in the way you do relationships, the way you do career, the way you do hobbies, the way you laugh, the way you cry. My ultimate agenda is to bring the cosmos back to life and premiere in that is bringing human beings back to life. How am I going to do that? I'm going to send my spirit back into you. We do not have the spirit of God in us before we come to Christ. When I trust him, the Holy Spirit takes up residence. I may or may not feel him, he takes up residence. Now I've been made alive. The question is, from that moment on, will I experience life or just go down the path of experiencing religiosity? Romans chapter 8 verse 10, but if the Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin. The spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. You hear that? A mortal body is somebody who's living and breathing but does not have the life of the gospel. It's what I refer to. It's why I titled my book Life with a Capital L. It's the life of the gospel, the life of God. It's why Irenaeus in the second century, St. Irenaeus said, the glory of God is man." fully alive. And if the spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Every day for me to number my days, say this is a day for me to be careful and deliberate and discerning and alive to the glory of God. This is the day that God's made. So let us, what? Rejoice, which is the fifth priority. Being grateful on a daily basis. Being grateful and living with a heart of worship. I've got some friends, they have a a collage on their wall. And it's just something to the degree that There is always, always, always something to be thankful for, always. Because the second advent is coming and all things will be made new. Go back to the text, verse 19 and 20, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms. This is the culmination. Remember, it's, it's progressive. Care leads to deliberation, intentionality, which leads to needing discernment, which leads to understanding that the, the gold, Christ agenda in this whole thing is for me to be alive to the glory of God. The gospel is to bring us back to life. And what does that produce? Men and women that are walking together in community and speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. says, don't live a life of dissipation. Be careful how you live. Don't get drunk with wine. I need to come back to that, by the way. It's not a statement about teetotaling or alcohol. It's a statement about the ultimate um, illustration of dissipation. Don't be drunk with wine for that's dissipation to be filled with the Spirit. Dissipation, this week, you experience it. Very rare time in Florida. Your breath goes out. It's foggy, and what happens to it, it dissipates. It's what happens to so many people at the end of their lives saying, what happened? Where did my life go? I still remember meeting with a guy I'll never forget. Grand Rapids, I'd spoken at a uh, men's event. And he heard me and asked a friend of his to see if he could get him to come visit me in the hospital a few weeks later. He was late 70s, early 80s, as successful as the day is long. Owned homes all over the country, several companies. He looked at me, he grabbed my hand, and he said, I don't know what I have lived for. He was dealing with dissipation. It's a great opportunity to talk about the gospel. That all things can be made new at this moment. And walking out of that hospital room, I walked out leaving a grateful man behind because all of a sudden the gospel made sense more than about going to church and doing religious things. So, the culmination of that care and that, that, deliberate, that intentionality and that deliberateness, the, the discernment, the aliveness, is gratitude. Here's the catch. Paul has been talking not to an individual, but to a church, a community, the Ephesians. Kind of like the Northlandians. Why do I bring that up? Here's why. There is a limit to how careful you can be alone. There's a limit to how deliberate you can be alone. There's a uh, limit to how discerning I can be alone. There's a limit to how much life I can experience alone. There's a limit to how grateful I can be alone. That is why we gather. We scatter to distribute the gospel, but we gather to sharpen each other's iron sharpens. I'm gonna give you some very practical ways that can work out in just a moment. But for now, let's take a few minutes and let's be grateful. And let's be grateful around a table, a table that Jesus instituted for us to partake of regularly. It's actually this table that enables that to have purpose, not a golf game, but my life's days. I can embrace purpose. You and I I are not abandoned to the notion that we're these lucky blobs of protoplasm that are needing to authenticate our existence in some way. Instead, we are invited back into the purpose of God in a credible way rooted in history. And this is the epicenter of it. And what culminated after this, what validated it was the resurrection. But the night before he gave his life, he said... I'm going to give you guys a meal and I want you to do this regularly because it reminds you of all of this and how I've made it possible. So let me pray right now before we we spend some time in gratitude. Lord Jesus, thank you for every person in this auditorium, for every person online. You know the number of days in each of our lives You know, some of us who are wasting our days, some of us who are really, really trying not to but not having good success, and you've spoken. You've spoken into us as individuals, and you've spoken into us as a community of your followers, and we're grateful. We're grateful for the hope of the gospel. A gospel that enables us to not fabricate meaning from our days, but extract the meaning that's already there. So as we eat and drink, commemorating your death on the cross on our behalf, dying for our sins to enable us to come alive again, may you find us grateful. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in our hearts with one another. I pray during this time of worship that it will be that which catapults us as a church into this new year, gathered around the sufficiency of Jesus, the beauty of the gospel, the authority of your word, and the hope of the resurrection. And it's in your name I pray, amen, amen.